Tonight, tonight. Why not? He'll make you think. I think I'm going to break protocol here, though. He'll make you laugh. Is it conceited of me? Because, I mean, I'm in puffing my chest out a little bit. And he lives for a take that'll make you do both. He says things I can't say. Nothing tops overtime, whether it's on the field or on the air. People don't forget. It's time for Overtime with Jonathan Peterlin. And welcome on in. It is Overtime with Jonathan Peterlin. Glad you guys could all be with me here on this Monday. Today is my second anniversary with my wife. Wedding day anniversary. Yes. So it's a big day. It's a big day in the uh, the Peterlin household. I, You know, I was going to come in here and, and we're going to get to Savali in a very brief, brief moment uh, because we don't have much time to, to, uh, to talk about Savali. But I was going to come in here and I was going to talk about... How second anniversary, I kind of got lucky. Like the first anniversary was paper. The second one is cotton. And I was thinking as this thing moves forward, I think it just gets more and more expensive. At least that's what I remembered in my brain is that with each passing year, it gets more expensive. And then my boss, Andy Roth, told me that yesterday was his 23rd, his MJ slash LeBron anniversary. And I don't think he gifted his wife a pair of Jordans. I don't think that's how that went down. But I was thinking, I was like, well, wait, so if it gets more expensive with each year, can't imagine what the 23rd year would be. And then I looked it up, and the 23rd year, this is no joke. Because I'm, I'm over here, I'm like, okay, it's nice. They gave me an easy break to start off. The 23rd year, it's air. Your gift is air. After the 22nd year was water. The whole thing has me in shambles. I thought every year as you move forward was like number 30 was. 30 is pearls. You know, you get some really expensive ones in here. 40 is Ruby. Maybe they're going for the big ones. 45 is Sapphire. Look at 46th is Games. That's unreal to me. You make it to 56th anniversaries. 56. Congratulations. You did it. Your anniversary theme is day. I got to revisit this later on. This is this is blowing my mind. I thought I was getting away with something here. Turns out they mix and match all the cheap and expensive ones all in between. So anyway, happy anniversary to my wife. Uh, it is a, a magnificent, although it's only two years, only two years. Uh, it's still, it's fantastic. I'm very excited by it. Very fun day. Uh, but the day was made, truly, because we celebrated over the weekend because we both, she works during the day, I work at night. So we celebrated over the weekend. The, today was made by Aaron Savali. And I hate that we don't have a million hours to talk about this because there's a million things I could talk about within this Aaron Savali trade. But this was more about striking while the iron was hot than it was anything else. Savali before the season wasn't going to get anything close to this in return. You have to take advantage of the situation when you get the opportunity. Savali projects out as a league average starter, and I think that's being nice. Best curveball in baseball. It is absolutely filthy. No one can deny that. His curveball is the very best for my money in baseball. His cutter is a little so-so. If he can go to Tampa and develop a third pitch... I don't know why Tampa would be able to get the third pitch out of him, but if he can go to Tampa and develop a third pitch, then maybe we have to have a different discussion about Aaron Savali. But as of right now, Aaron Savali is who Aaron Savali is. He's never going to throw 98. I don't think he's going to have some go-to-Tampa Yandy Diaz resurgence where they pick something out of his arsenal and then all of a sudden turn him into being great. I don't think that's going to happen. After game five of the ALDS last year, I was ready to do to Savali what you do to empty toothpaste tubes. You throw them in the trash. So the fact that we can fast forward and he can deliver good enough baseball to get the Guardians something of substance back in return, I'm over the moon about the whole entire thing. I am thrilled 
that this was the return. I talked about this a couple weeks ago with you guys, and I was bringing it up, and I said, and now is the time. You got to make this move. You got to sell on Savali while the selling is good. It's just simple baseball. Now, we know Tampa. It's not like they don't have advanced numbers. Tampa knows. This is why I say you got it's, the, these conversations are tough. These are the really tough baseball conversations to have because a lot of you guys will go look at the ERA and think, wow, that's the best pitcher on our rotation. You got, I'm going to speak Portuguese for a second here, but you got to go to FIP, XFIP, all these other advanced numbers, and what they'll tell you is that Aaron Savali, if you take the, the true reality of it, should be this year, if you took his luck and the things that he can't control that have gone his way into account, should be about a four to four and a half ERA guy. Somewhere in between there. If you use those two metrics, the XFIP is ballpark adjusted. It is what it is. Aaron Savali has been incredibly lucky when it comes to the amount of success he's shown. I don't think Tampa Bay is paying because they think he's some 2.5 ERA pitcher. That's not what they're paying for. I genuinely do think that they'd pay for him whether he had the 2.5 ERA or the ERA near four because they're not dum-dums. They know what his output should be. They know he's not the number one pitcher on this staff. They know that he is a league average starter. He can eat innings. That's what they want out of him to do. Be someone that for the next two years, they can slot him in the rotation in the four, five, three, four, five, somewhere in there. If everything goes right, three. If everything doesn't go right in the five. And for the next two years, they at least have something there because they have a good enough offense. They have a good enough offense. They've lacked the starting pitching top to bottom. And really, it's, it stretches from a couple years ago when they had a massive fire sale and started sending all their quality pitchers elsewhere. It's like, well, no, duh, we don't have a good starting pitching staff anymore. We sent all our good players to San Diego. We sent all our good pitchers elsewhere. That was Obviously, that was going to happen. Snell, Glass, now, you guys know the names. So like, you, fat, you look at it now, you fast forward, and it's like, well, yeah, they needed some help. That's what Aaron Savali is. I can understand why you're upset. I get it. I'm just taking a different approach on this since we didn't share the same expectations. I'm the one, I tell you all the time, I think it's awful how some of you guys hold your Uber each drivers to higher standards than you do this ball club. This isn't carrying water on my behalf or letting them off the hook. This is just having an understanding of what this team is and was going to be. I didn't expect anything great. Since watching all these games, I'm hardly Magellan out here discovering new land with the idea that they don't hit well enough and they're not consistent enough in other areas. I'm hardly some baseball savant when it comes to that. That doesn't take a genius to figure out. They've been maddeningly inconsistent when it comes to hitting all year, when it comes to relievers all year in that bullpen, and when it comes to the starting rotation. It's just who they are. This team is not going to win a World Series. They never were. But I understand why you're upset. You're upset because you saw last year, you saw them you know, take down Tampa in the two-game set in the wild card. You saw them go up against the Yankees and go to five games. Guardiac kids, all the stupid SpongeBob costumes you could eat your heart out with, right? And, and you thought to yourself, well, this copy and paste. We're only going to get better. The true crime of what your disappointment weighs in is the idea that you expected this team to be better than the team you saw last year. And in baseball, 
You had too many one-hit wonders last year for us to see that happen. And when you have this many injuries to your starting rotation, I mean, look at it. You've had injuries to your numbers one, two, and three. At times, even Savali was injured as well. You can make a legitimate argument that when it comes to the starting rotation and what the expected starting rotation was going to be, I mean, how many more injuries can you have? It is ridiculous. So I, I just I think we approach this and this trade deadline with different expectations. And I'm not going to make myself seem like some sort of, uh, you know, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's hardly amazing work that Antonetti and Chernoff are pulling off here. But what I would say is that the, the decisions and the moves that they have made, in my estimation, they're two for two so far. Getting rid of Rosario, getting rid of Savali, getting the return they got for both. I, and yet, it's not about Noah Syndergaard. In fact, when we fast forward this one a couple hours from now, I expect us not to be pleased with how the first outing for Syndergaard went. I am prepared to be wrong about that, but it's not what I'm expecting. Anything that he gives us tonight that is good, that is quality, will be just a complete bonus to me because I'm not expecting much. But you had to get Rosario out of there because you had to start playing other guys. And then when it comes to Savali, getting somebody back like Kyle Manzardo, in my estimation, is an absolute home run. And I think I think a lot of you guys have spent the day overanalyzing and, and really not understanding 100%. You guys understand, you're smart baseball fans, but what I'm saying is, I think the, the word I kept using is, wow, we got, we got a guy with power. He doesn't really have power. It's not, it's not like that. It's a big doubles hitter. You know, I, honestly, you, I think I know why I'm so infatuated with the guy. Right now, he's a top 40 prospect in baseball. I, I'm infatuated with him because he reminds me of my favorite baseball player of all time growing up, and that's Mark Grace. Mark Eugene Grace, the guy that I once owned, uh, it was around 1,500 unique baseball cards for. My childhood investment. Some people bought Beanie Babies. I bought Mark Grace baseball cards. We both lost, okay? But Mark Grace was my guy, and Mark Grace's profile was simple. He had more doubles than any other player in the 90s. He'd always hit between 3 and 320, somewhere in that range. Never hit more than 17 home runs in a season. But again, a million doubles. Got on base at a high rate. Just a good overall player. Solid. And above average defense for Mark Grace was winning gold gloves. Now, Kyle isn't that. Kyle's above average defense. Maybe not a gold glove winner, but above average defense. But the rest of the profile, all down to him being a lefty, just slaps and hits right for me. And this is just, a, it's my own unique comp, the same way you'd come up with a comp if you're like, Lamar Jackson, Michael Vick, let's do this thing. Well, I had fun playing with him in Madden in 2003. Kind of reminds me of that a little bit. It's very loose. Okay, I'm not really using the 20 to 80 scale on Kyle Manzardo to comp him out to Mark Grace. But I like it. There's a part of me that likes that type of player, that old school baseball player. And, and I've, I've said for the longest time what the Guardians need is really someone that can not threaten to hit the warning track, but someone that actually hit, you know, hit the ball over the fence. This guy will do that. He will hit home runs. Mark Grace did hit home runs as well. He had a bunch of doubles. More of a line drive guy. Maybe the Guardians can do for him what they didn't do for Yande Diaz. Yande Diaz with the popcorn, uh, popcorn arms, looking like Popeye out there, built like an absolute brick house. And they're like, oh, well, Yandy, I... Don't know what to do with you. We're lost. He goes to Tampa Bay. They tell him simply to swing up on the ball, which is something you tell your nine-year-old playing baseball, and all of a sudden, Yandy Diaz is starting in the All-Star game. Like, I don't have much confidence that the Guardians' uh, um, you know, hitting coach and the Guardians' 
the people in charge of their their hitters is going to you know solve the easiest puzzle in the world. But let's say he is just that line drive hitter. Perfectly acceptable to me. Kyle Manzardo is a guy that a couple years from now legitimately should be, and maybe as early as next year, who knows, will be in this starting lineup, will be in the middle of the order as far as that bats are concerned, and hopefully can be productive. But what they're doing to me is they're righting some of the wrongs that happened with Shane Bieber. What I mean by that is they didn't strike when the iron was hot with Shane Bieber. They let Shane Bieber's value dissipate to a point where no baseball team wanted to trade for him because of the injury, and they didn't max out what they could get. Aaron Savale is the complete opposite of that. Last year at this time, you couldn't get a single thing for Savale. Now at this point, his value is as high as it was ever going to be, and they sold right when the getting was good. This isn't Apple at its height. This is Apple at the very bottom when it's about to take off. That's that's what they're going for. So you get the good return on that. You get the good return based off the idea that I, I was... I don't know that the Guardians are going to make some sort of deep run in the postseason or anything. I would bet against that, and I think that's what the Guardians are telling you guys as well. They understand what this team is. They understand what this team can be. I like it overall. I like the moves. I co-sign the moves. We'll get to the moves a little bit later on. We'll find out what Thor does on the mound. He looks very majestic out there. That hair makes him look like... Well, you know what? We're going to leave that comparison for another day. We come on back. Let's go to Deshaun Watson. 216-474-0092. It's not about Mike Sando ranking him 11th and the league executives, excuse me, ranking him 11th. It's not about that. It's the idea that so many of you guys spent today waxing poetic about how great it was that he was 11th that I have an issue with. I've got I have seven quarterbacks in the AFC ahead of Deshaun. The top five are all in the AFC. The top five. Well, if that's the case, I don't think 11's good enough. 216-474-0092. In the AFC, does Deshaun Watson have to be better if the Browns are going to be better? It's overtime with Jonathan Beatle here with you on The Fan. Hey guys, you can now follow the Cleveland sports scene chapter by chapter on the Odyssey app. Just click on each of our local shows to see the topics we cover chapter by chapter. Also remember to follow 92.3 The Fan on the Odyssey app to get any breaking news or big articles from Daryl Ryder pushed right to your smartphone. All right, we're going to get to Deshaun Watson and Mike Sando's tier rankings in just a second. I got to... I got to just ask her. It's just bothering me too much. If I don't do it now, I, I'm just, it's going to sit in my brain and I'm not going to have a resolution to it. And I don't even know if I'm going to get a resolution to it. I went in the hallway and the microwave was beeping and the microwave was brief. I went to go get some tea and I looked in and there's a hot pocket in there and it's beeping. And I said, oh, okay, that's fine. Somebody's got a pocket. So I came back in the studio and right now at this point, there were some people here maybe 25 minutes ago helping out with the show that was on before me. But at this point, it's me, it's Dominic, and it's Mitch, and that's really about it in this this cluster of a radio station that we have. And so, Mitch, it's not your hot pocket. It is not. Okay, this means it's been beeping for an hour now. Dominic, it's not your hot pocket. That was beeping when I walked in the door here at 7 o'clock. I am so scared of the idea that I would, I don't know, take the hot pocket out, put it on the counter, and then it would stop the beeping, but then somebody would come around and be like, yo, 
don't touch my hot pocket and then get scolded for it. I don't know what to do. I want to stop the beeping, but like, how long do I give this random person that's responsible for this hot pocket? Who goes into an office, puts a hot pocket into a microwave and then leaves? If it's been beeping for over an hour, who leaves without their hot pocket? It's been at least since 6.30 when I walked in. Okay, that's insane. So it's been two hours? This thing's been it, beeping for two hours? We we need to do something about this issue. Well, you need to take the hot pocket out, but I don't want to touch anyone's hot pocket. But at, at two hours, I think you lost the right to your hot pocket. JP, they had their chance to eat their hot pocket. That hot pocket belongs to the streets now. It's not. It belongs to the streets. <laughs> I was just about to say, the only thing you can do tonight is leave that beeping until 6 o'clock tomorrow morning oh when the morning God. show guys have to deal with it and they're oh, going to talk about it on their show. That's a bit. Yeah, I can I can hear it right now. Who who from that late night show, Peter left a hot pocket overnight? And then I'd have to call in and be like, oh, I swear it wasn't me, guys. I swear it wasn't me. So which one of you guys want to do hot pocket roulette and find out what flavor it is? <laughs> you, know, you got the the white the white uh, little cardboard that that carries over it. So we should like all like we're not like, no. No, no no just cut it open. No. I, I'm so curious. Are you? I'm so curious. What if it's like like an all vegetable one? I don't mean, know if that's a thing. Could you imagine? Or if it's like one of like the uh, like Let's the be breakfast honest. combo ones? Be honest. The type of person that would leave a hot pocket and then not uh, not account for it two hours later. It's not like a pepperoni. It's not a good one. You leave the broccoli with cheese and forget about that one. And it's like, ah, oh, yeah, I guess I did forget the hot pocket there, didn't I? I'm not going back for that one as you're already entering into your car. But you leave the pepperoni one. Maybe you make a run back for it. All right, so we're safe then. Next break, we can just, we'll just open up the microwave. We'll take it out. We'll put it down. We'll be fine. I think we're all good here. Unbelievable. I actually kind of want to leave it for the morning show now. <laughs> I want to leave it beeping. I, I think we should. I want to leave it beeping for the morning Cause, show. Because they'll, they'll never know who it is, <laughs> and neither do we, and it will just keep on going. That will get them so mad. They'll be so confused. They'll be so confused by it. I, I think that'd be hysterical. No, I can't do that. I can't do that. All right. Anyway, Mike Sando. Mike Sando came out with this quarterback, too. You know, it's funny, actually. I was, I was talking to a friend of mine, and we went to a, a Fourth of July party. And my buddy listens to the station and he was telling me, he goes, he goes, yeah, who, who was that guy you had on? About a month ago, I had Mike Sando on. And the whole goal of me having Mike Sando on was to try to, it was summertime. It still is summertime, but it was summertime then. And the whole goal was for me to get him to leak out where Deshaun Watson was going to be ranked. That was it. Like the morning show had been talking about it. I'd been talking about it a little bit as well. And like my whole goal was just to find out where Deshaun Watson was ranked. And so my buddy, I'm at this 4th of July party. He goes, he goes, I got to tell you, I was hysterical. Like you could, you could hear you, you really wanted to find that out. And that guy was not going to give it. He was not going to give that information to you at all. And then the next segment, you just went off and I loved it. I was like, yeah, I, I couldn't believe we had Mike Sando on and he kept Deshaun Watson's tiered ranking. Like it was CIA classified information. I'd have a better chance finding out if we have aliens on this earth and finding out whether or not Deshaun Watson was ranked in tier one, two, or three. It was unreal. Couldn't believe it. He protected Deshaun Watson's ranking. Like nobody's protected anything in their life. I thought it was wild. Absolutely wild. So today we got the answer. And I've told you guys the entire time, I believe it is nearly impossible to project out just how good or bad Deshaun Watson will be this year. Nearly impossible. I think there's two quarterbacks that are like that this year. I think Russell Wilson is one of them. I think Deshaun Watson is the other one. I think the two of them, I think it's impossible to project out. 
But what I want to hear from you guys at 216-474-0092 is Deshaun Watson gets tier number two when he's ranked 11th overall. When I'm looking at this, I'm wondering if this is good enough for the AFC. It felt like a lot of Browns fans were happy with the ranking because it wasn't disrespectful. It wasn't 25th. It wasn't 20th. It was 11th, which is where I think a lot of us would have Deshaun Watson pegged. A lot of us would say, yeah, he's somewhere in the top 10 or around the top 10. 11 is by no means disrespectful. Where this becomes tough for me, though, is I was looking at the list, and you can read the description of a Tier 2, and a Tier 2 quarterback can carry his team sometimes, but not as consistently. He can handle pure passing situations in doses and or possess other dimensions that are special enough to elevate him above Tier 3, and he's got a hole or two in his game. And I was looking at this, and I said, wow. If Jalen Hurts is a Tier 2 quarterback, according to this, that's all I need to hear. I was like, Hurts is Tier 2. Matthew Stafford is Tier 2. That is two of the previous four quarterbacks in the Super Bowl. You go, all right, if you're a Tier 2 quarterback, that means you can make the Super Bowl. Not so fast, my friends, Lee Corso. The, the hang-up here is that both Matthew Stafford and Jalen Hurts are the two reps from the NFC which makes me wonder if a Tier 2 quarterback can get you to the Super Bowl through the NFC, but not necessarily through the AFC. The whole AFC seems to be keeping up with the Joneses, right? Then there's the NFC, which half of the teams treat the quarterback position with the importance of choosing the guy who serves the beers in Section 121. There are seven quarterbacks in the AFC ahead of Deshaun Watson, and that's where I have my biggest problem. Mahomes, Burrow, Allen, Rodgers, Herbert, Lawrence, and Lamar. And even worse, when you look at this, and we knew it'd be bad. There was no doubt about that one. We knew it wasn't going to be good. But here's where it really kind of stinks. The top five quarterbacks in this ranking are all in the AFC. How do you get past the top five? You know, I, I saw Anthony. Actually, I'm going to do a, a thing here. It was I heard Anthony, but then I didn't hear him make this point. I heard Dustin make this point talking about Anthony's Twitter. So we're going to do some like uh, a next level ridiculousness attached to this, okay? But I can only go off of what Dustin was saying that Anthony said that I didn't hear when Anthony talked about it this morning. Very convoluted. I apologize. Anyway, he had mentioned that he thought 11th gets you in the playoffs. Well, if there's seven spots in the AFC, and right now there's seven quarterbacks in the AFC ahead of Deshaun Watson, and this does not account for the teams or the people, excuse me, I think reasonably we can expect a couple different quarterbacks to rise up from rankings that are not currently in the top 11 that end up making the postseason. Maybe, maybe not. But if we just take the top seven quarterbacks in the AFC, that would mean the Chiefs make it, that would mean the Bills make it, that would mean the Bengals make it, that would mean the Jets make it, that would mean the Chargers. That would mean the uh, Jacksonville and the Ravens all make the postseason. You just take the top seven. That means we're on the outside looking in. That's why I don't like these rankings. And it's not as if I disagree with them from a Deshaun Watson perspective. It's just the true cold hard reality of all this is that right now there are so many good teams in the AFC. Good luck getting in. Good luck. I, we're, we've known the entire time that we're going to need some breaks to go our right 
direction and breaks to go our way in order to end up on the right side of this whole thing. But the reality is that there's seven quarterbacks in the AFC ahead of Deshaun. I can't guarantee you that being the eighth best quarterback in your conference is enough to get you to the playoffs. I can all but guarantee if you are in the NFC and you had Deshaun Watson's numbers, you'd be in the postseason. This is why I've rallied against why it was so fundamentally stupid for Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers to go from the NFC to the AFC. Bird brain decisions. Too much ayahuasca up in that, that noggin of Aaron Rodgers. Made no sense. Zero. None. Why would you ever go from a conference where you can sleepwalk throughout the entire regular season? There's a, there's a reason why Rodgers won 13 games three straight seasons in a row while winning two MVPs throughout that three-year stretch. Because in the, in the NFC, not only was he living in the NFC North, where they basically just give you wins on a silver platter and ask nothing in return, but in the NFC, they don't make life difficult. The NFC, for my money right now, there are two good teams, arguably three, but I say two. It's going to be San Francisco with the seventh round, last overall pick of last year's draft in Brock Purdy, and the Eagles with Jalen Hurts. It's not that difficult. Meanwhile... I can't throw – I can't look around the AFC without seeing a good quarterback. It's just – it's impossible. Everywhere you look, there are more what is deemed to be franchise quarterbacks than not in the AFC. And I'm as evidenced by the fact that Deshaun Watson is the eighth-ranked quarterback in the AFC. There's 16 teams in each conference. He's the eighth one out of 16 – And he's ranked 11th in the entire NFL. So I think it's great news that he didn't get, you know, tattooed to the back of this tier rankings. I like that the GMs and everyone at least had a positive outlook on Deshaun Watson. It seemed like he got the benefit of the doubt when it came to a lot of the expectations for Deshaun Watson. Like, listen, I think that was all fine. It was all really good for Deshaun. A lot of really good things that nobody waved the white flag on what he'll be for this upcoming year. But ultimately, the, the sad reality of this, this tiered system, it's not that he was 11th and we need to be walking around like, hey, is 11th good enough? No, 11th isn't good enough. There's no debate there. If he's 11th next year, they're not in the postseason more likely than not. But also, we have no chance of making a deep postseason run if you're the worst quarterback in the postseason field. Like I do think it matters how you make this thing. I want to be able to say week one of the postseason, Browns are in it and they're not laying 12 points and they're not some sort of, you know, massive, massive underdog against one of these postseason teams with an Allen or a Burrow. It's not just getting into the dance. It's it's how you do when you get there. And, and we have to legitimately feel like this Browns team has a chance to make a deep run. Go, Jonathan, that's putting too much, uh, too high of expectations on this team too early. Well, guess what? I've raised the standards. That's what happens when you pay $230 million. Last year was the, the honeymoon. Last year was the warm and fuzzy season. This year is the year I have expectations. And if those expectations aren't meant, I'm sorry. But I don't want anyone to be making excuses for this team. Where's the deep postseason run? Why is it that we're taking Mahomes on? Uh, because Mahomes, or if I'd say Burrow, whoever doesn't end up getting the one seed in the bye, and all of a sudden we're double-digit dogs. Well, guess what? That's not good enough. I don't want to just make the postseason to be so obviously cooked. That's not what I'm going for. I want these games to be realistically tough. And in the AFC, with the quarterbacks at the helm, it should be. 
Well, let me ask it. 216-474-0092 on Twitter. There you can find me. I'm at Jay Peterlin. I'm not happy with 11th and Tier 2. It's not my money. I get that. But the Haslam's didn't give up $230 million in guaranteed money to have Deshaun Watson be Tier 2 and the 8th best quarterback in his conference. I think he's got to be better than this ranking to make you guys happy. Do you agree? Do you disagree? We'll get to the fan focus at 9. Your calls, your reactions, Twitter reactions. Brought to you by our friends at Shop and Jewelers, Cleveland's premier jewelry store. We'll do it all next right here on The Fan. All righty, back in a year on The Fan. We're to The Fan Focus at 9 o'clock. Right now we're talking about Mike Sando and his quarterback tiers. Sando will be on afternoon drive tomorrow. So although I couldn't lock it down with Sando when he joined us a month ago, now that the information's out, he's got no reason not to tell us all the dirt. So we're going to get like an updated, it's going to be a nice couple day story here where we talk about it right now and then tomorrow we'll react to what Sando had to say because one of the interesting little nuggets he had in his piece in having Deshaun Watson as 11th and in tier two was that there was another defensive coordinator that, I don't know, my estimation, I thought made it seem good. For Deshaun Watson. I thought it, I thought in my estimation, I thought it was about as glowing as you can get if you're Deshaun Watson. There's not much, you know, they say in rounders, not much faith in the betting community as grandma's talking about uh, uh, worm in the bathroom scene. Not much faith in the, the gambling community and you're out there, worm. Same type of thing. There, they, I didn't think there'd be much faith in the football community in Deshaun Watson. If we were out there trying to buy up Deshaun Watson stock, I, I don't, I don't know that it would be the hardest thing in the world to buy. What's fascinating is that I'm supposed to be happy by number 11. I'm supposed to be happy by tier two. If, if Mike Sando had told me when I had him on a month ago, yes, tier, 11, tier two and uh, number 11 is what I have him ranked. Let's keep this on the hush-hush. I know we're on a 40,000-watt station, but can we keep this quiet? I'm trying to keep this on the low-low, and then so people, you know, they read the article when it comes out. Okay, okay, let's do that. I would have been over the moon. I would have been really happy about it because it would have made it, at least in my mind, I would have said, okay, great, number 11. There's 14 playoff teams. You're the 11th best quarterback. No chance it's that loaded up with the AFC, right? Right? And then I would have sat down and done my own list, and I probably would have came to the conclusion that some of these guys came to earlier today, and the top five quarterbacks are in the AFC, and there are seven quarterbacks in the AFC ahead of Deshaun. I know. I know. I didn't expect a lot of math on this program, but let's just be honest about it. We can do simple math here. We are not dumb people. Seven spots, seven quarterbacks ahead of you. Your odds just aren't there. And this is not accounting for a Kenny Pickett, who's 25th in this list, but Mike Tomlin always gets to eight, nine wins. So it's it's one of those weird situations the Browns find themselves in. I ask you guys at 216-474-0092, are you happy with 11th? Are you happy with Tier 2? And maybe the silver lining here is the idea that I've been saying for a while, we are in the best era of quarterbacking in league history and the best this conference, in my estimation, has ever seen. There is depth like crazy. I believe that there's like a cover charge in the AFC. It's like uh, it's getting the velvet rope lifted up at the bar and the bouncer's there. And in order to get through just through into the bar in order to have a shot, 
you have to have. The minimum requirement is having one of these really good quarterbacks that everyone in the AFC seems to have. So if that's the admission price, and there's obviously, you know, there's better quarterbacks than others. A Mahomes is different than a Burrow, let's say, but I think Mahomes is the only true exception here. In my estimation, Mahomes is the only true exception. I think Burrow's really, really nice. I don't think Burrow is immune to having a season where if Jamar Chase gets injured all of a sudden, maybe he doesn't look as good. And with the the toughest division in sports, maybe things don't break right for Cincinnati. I don't think he's immune to that. I, I And we know Josh Allen isn't because we've watched Josh Allen now flail. So I, I, I think the only quarterback that gets a complete pass in that is Mahomes. Everybody else, you've got the same admission price into the bar. Now it's trying to figure out what the other parts of the team are that sets you apart. So let's go back to the Bengals for a second. What sets the Bengals apart is that receiving core that I talk about. It's that trio. You know, Chase Higgins Boyd. That separates them. It does. There's no doubt in my mind it does. I know that for a fact. When it comes to the Browns, I'm going to do glass hat, I'm going to do glass empty. It's not even half full. Glass empty, and then the glass half full approach, okay? Half empty, half full. I'm going to go completely empty, and then then we're going to just completely fill the thing up to the top, okay? I don't know why I made that more difficult than I had to, but I, I did, and I'm sorry. Here we go. Right now, we have a bottom third head coach, according to Ross Tucker. We have a bottom third receiving group, according to Mike Clay. And then now, according to league executives, we have a second-tier quarterback which really, if you want to break it up into the third things, is at the bottom end of a top third. doesn't make you feel good. If right now, in my estimation, the league is built around a couple things. I've always said the Holy Trinity is what matters the most. I really do believe that. Head coach, GM, quarterback. That, that in my estimation, is what makes and breaks good teams. But you want to take it a step further, and this is where maybe some people would disagree. I go owner- head coach, quarterback. Owner, head coach, quarterback is a great way to look and see the really good franchises across this sport. I like Haslam as an owner, but I know I'm in the minority of that one. I leave this part of the equation typically out because I know it's just opening up for a lot of disagreements and I don't want to lose focus on what we're doing here. The point is is that after those big pieces, where do you stand as a team For the Browns, we have a top two offensive line. This is the glass half full part. We have a top two offensive line. We have one of the best running backs in the game. We have a top pass rusher. If the Browns are going to win, it's not going to be because Deshaun Watson is the 11th best quarterback in the NFL. I really do believe if the Browns are going to win, it's because Deshaun Watson does enough at quarterback And 11th is just enough in my mind. Either one of two things. Either he goes top five and then carries a lot of the roster, puts him on his back, and really lifts this franchise up to places we haven't seen in a very long time. Or the other side of the coin, which is he he stays at this 11th that is projected. He is the eighth best quarterback in the AFC. And then it falls on the Browns to win in other ways. Then it falls on the Browns to win with what we have that other teams don't have. But it's not easy. Every team with every quarterback that we mentioned, if we're just talking about this club that everyone's into, they all have things that they boast that are really, really impressive. 
Well, pick a random team out of the AFC that I mentioned there. Let's go Jets. Everyone's focused on Aaron Rodgers. Okay, fine. They have one of the top three cornerbacks in the game in Sauce Gardner, and that defense was a fourth-scoring defense last year. I didn't even get to Garrett Wilson. Didn't even get to Brees Hall. There's so many different parts of that that Jets team that makes them something special, that makes them something just a little unique. All sorts of these rosters that we're going to look at, you go up and down, and they all have something they do at an elite level outside of the quarterback spot. We do too. I love that one of ours is offensive line. I feel like right now in the game, how offensive line and defensive line, look at what happened for the final four teams in the AFC and NFC title game last year. All of them boasted really good to good offensive line, defensive lines. 49ers were one of the best on both sides of the ball right like that. It was just it's the reality of where they are. That's what you got to be. You got to be one of those type of teams. But these are the areas that you have to really truly shine in. And I like that the Browns top spots are offensive line, defensive line. Winning in the trenches like that is only going to be a good thing for this Browns team. I wish that we had a little bit more at receiver, and I wish that one of our best positional skill position players was not our running back because our running back matters a ton in this offense, but them's the breaks. I'll take a Nick Chubb anytime you give me a Nick Chubb. 216-474-0092. On Twitter, there you can find me. I'm at JPL. Andrew Barry spoke about what he wants to see out of Deshaun Watson. This was on the It's Always Game Day in Cleveland podcast with Daryl Ryder. Here we go. Yeah, it's, it's significantly different. And, um, you know, I think his comfort in the city with the organization, with his teammates, uh, obviously with the off-field situation resolved, uh, it really does create a difference coming into camp. I would even say more generally, I was actually telling someone um, – yesterday afternoon. I think one of the more rewarding parts as a general manager is when you we bring a lot of players in when they're very young. Um, and not just seeing them progress as players, but seeing them mature as, as people as it goes from year to year to year. And, you know, we think Deshaun, or I say we know Deshaun's in a really good place. Um, and we're looking forward to something this Okay. He says he's in a really good place. I'm going to have to take his word for it. We had a lot of good responses out of what happened at the Greenbrier. A lot, of, a lot of positive conversations about what you heard, what you saw. Ultimately, if he's 11th, tier two, more importantly, seven quarterbacks in the AFC play better than Deshaun. I don't know that we're sitting here going Super Bowl, Super Browns. Think if that's the case. I think we're going to be on the on the sorely disappointed side of things. And then we're going to try to fix it in a bunch of different ways. And it's going to be really, really tough to get done. 216-474 to below 92. Chris, up next on the fan. Hello, Chris. How you doing? Yeah, what's up, Chris? So basically, I was calling and I was wondering, why should we care about the rankings? We got the best back, the best online, um, one of the best defenses on paper. I mean, I know we've had that for a couple of years, but if everything clicks, nobody wants to play the Cleveland Browns. Okay. I guess that was that's that's what Chris wanted to get off his chest. Yeah, I agree. So we, the point I had made was that two to fifty three. This is why I'm not so down on it, even though there's a part of me that will remain down if you end up being the eighth best quarterback in your own conference. But at two to fifty three, I think we have one of the best rosters in the NFL. There's a couple of two to 53s that I really love. I love the 49ers. I think the Bills two to 53 is exceptionally good as well. There's some talented teams out there that are relying on number one in order to get the job done. 
I'm trying to take that number one out of the equation for a second. I'm playing with the idea that if every starting quarterback not named Patrick Mahomes is going to be in that same ballpark, right, in the same relative ballpark. Like, let me surprise you with a stat here really quick. You know, Joe Burrow and Jared Goff last year had incredibly similar, uh, similar stats, incredibly similar. Now, Joe Burrow did his numbers in different times than Jared Goff did. The truth of the matter is, is that when you line them up, you can make a legitimate argument that if you did a blind test, player A versus player B, you might vote Jared Goff's resume over Joe Burrow's last year. That's why we play the games, though. There's different times. There's different situations. Converting third downs matter than, uh, you know, putting up a bunch of garbage time numbers when it's 38 to 3, right? There's different things that happen with Jared Goff that make him not Joe Burrow. But the part I find fascinating is if all these quarterbacks in the AFC can live in that same realm, then what separates us is that offensive line that is second best, uh, according to PFF, entering this season, then that defensive line that we spent a boatload of money on and all these other type of things. Jay in Cleveland, quickly up next on the fan. Hello, Jay. Yeah, um, I really don't think our offensive line is that good. Um, we're great at run, at run blocking, but our pass protection is not that good on the outside. Uh, Cochran is just like a, uh average pass protector. Jay Willis is not good. Uh, he hasn't been looking good the last, i say, two seasons. I think that the wide receiver position, I think that we're a little bit too excited about Elijah Moore because I understand he didn't have good quarterbacks, but he hasn't. In the two years he did play, I mean, he just seems like he'll be an okay slot receiver. I do think a, a person that is underrated is Donovan Peoples-Jones. Mm-hmm. I don't know how people are more excited about Elijah Moore than DPJ when he was 200 yards away from 1,000 yards, and he's very durable. So I feel like what would set the Browns up is if Donovan Peoples-Jones takes that next step, because if he takes that next step, then he's a 1,000-yard wide receiver. If Amari Cooper remains Amari Cooper, if David Njoku stays healthy, yeah. and, Deshaun, yeah. and Deshaun Watson, you know, get back to – Jay, you're on it. You're, you're on it, though, and I appreciate you. You're on it because the wide receivers, I think, are going to be so important to making Deshaun Watson look good. He needs the wide receivers right now. He's not at the point where, you know, Mahomes can make anybody look good. Deshaun's not at that point in my mind. I leave that there. We come on back. We got to get to the fan focus. Listen to the fan weekdays, winning time, 7:20 a.m., 10:20 a.m., 4:20 p.m. for your chance at tickets to see Nickelback at Blossom August 9th. When you hear the winning word, text it to 20357 by the end of the hour to get registered to win. Text and data rates may apply. Get rules on our website, 923thefan.com.